Welcome to episode number 125 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineering Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Here at the Engineering Management Institute, we believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better, get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, our second episode in our Women in Civil Engineering series, I will be visiting with Mary Lang, who is a principal at U and Associates. Mary will be discussing design build and what civil engineers should know about this delivery process, which, while it's been around for a while, it continues to become more and more popular for the reasons that Mary is going to discuss. Before we jump into the conversation with Mary, this is a free show. Our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast to coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'll tell you more about our new sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a little later on in the episode. If you know of an engineering company or organization that would like to sponsor the Civil Engineering Podcast, they can get their name out there, of course, amongst thousands of civil engineering professionals and support professional development for civil engineering professionals. Please contact our producer, Angelique, at angelique at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Again, that's angelique at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And for those of you listeners that have reached out to us about the next session of our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, The next session starts very soon, September 10th. You can still register by going to engineer2manager.com. Again, that's engineer2manager.com. It's a great way to spend about 10 to 12 hours over five weeks, about two hours a week, working on your management skills, whether you're an aspiring engineering manager or a young engineering manager. This course can kind of kickstart you on some of the key skills you're going to need whether it's communicating with clients, networking and building relationships, preparing for business development, productivity and billability, high leverage leadership by learning how to delegate effectively or starting to understand that process. The course has become very popular. And again, you can get the details at engineer2manager.com. And if you don't want to wait for September 10th, we have an on-demand version that you can start as soon as today. All right, so now let me tell you a little bit more about our guest, Mary Lang. As I said earlier, I went to her office at UN Associates. I visited with Mary in New Jersey. We did the interview in person, and the video for this interview is available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. We've been putting out quite a few videos and have been getting great feedback from engineers, so be sure to subscribe to that channel. 
Mary C. Lang, PEPP lead GA, has over 30 years of diverse, increasingly responsible, multidisciplinary experience and leadership, providing civil engineering expertise in master planning, land use studies, site engineering, stormwater management design, regulatory permitting, and construction of complex infrastructure and building projects throughout the Northeast. Mary provides expertise in management of alternative delivery projects, including design, build, and public and private partnerships for facility projects. She has managed projects ranging from $20,000 in budget to $3 billion, many of which have received the ACEC Engineering Excellence Award. Mary is the recipient of the Outstanding Women of Achievement Award in 2000 by the New Jersey State General Assembly, Young Engineer of the Year by the American Society of Civil Engineers, New Jersey Branch, 1998, and served on the National Board of Directors of the American Society of Civil Engineers. And Mary's really just a great person. I've known her now for some time. I've met with her several times, one time just as like a kind of a pre-interview for this meeting. And she really is a true leader in the industry. She has seen a lot in her career. She's had a lot of interesting experiences, and you'll see some of them come out through the conversation that you're about to hear. With that, let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Mary Lang. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Anthony Fasano here from the Engineering Management Institute, and I'm excited to be here at the offices of UN Associates with Principal Mary Lang. Mary is a professional engineer. She's had extensive experience in different aspects of civil, which we'll get into. We're also going to talk about design and build, and this is also one of our episodes in our Women in Civil Engineering series, and Mary's got quite a bit of experience there, and we'll dive into that. Actually, we're going to start there, but Mary, first of all, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Well, thank you, and welcome to, like, having you here, Anthony. So, I'm excited to be here. Mary and I have talked several times in the past. She's got a lot of experience, and what I want to do just for our listeners and viewers first, Mary, is just an overview of your career. I started... I graduated from college with a bachelor's in civil engineer, University okay. of Dayton. Stayed to work with Ohio DOT at a time when there were very few women engineers. I think I was the first hired in our region hmm. to work in construction, probably the third statewide. So it was a time when there were very few of us, far and few between. From there, I'm an East Coast girl, wanted to get back, came back through New Jersey, landed here. I've worked both in the consulting world now on public transportation projects to private development projects, large firms, small firms. Um, I found my home here with Peter, Peter Yu, back in 2000, and it has been a great time ever since. Yeah. Took a few breaks along the way to raise children and back and (laughs) having a great time at it. So just for the audience to kind of give us some framework, Mm -hmm. what kind of services does you and Associates offer? Certainly. We are a civil, geotechnical, and environmental design firm. We offer anything from land surveying, planning, upfront feasibility studies through construction support, special inspections, certifications for our geotech, especially in the New York City area. We work here in the New York, New Jersey region. We're an office of around 65 persons. We're an MBE firm. We do rail, highway, site development. So we kind of encompass a whole host of things. Get into a lot of, a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Great. We're publishing this Women in Civil Engineering series because, as you know for sure, there aren't enough women, in, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of people's opinion, in leadership roles in civil engineering. I think it's improving, but I think we have a long way to go. And you are a leader in this firm. You have a big hand in growing this firm. You and Associates mm-hmm. is growing quickly. 
And I just kind of want to get your perspective a little bit or, you know, look for some advice for those uh, younger women out there that are starting their careers or not even starting their careers. They could be in their careers for a while and they want to continue to aspire to be uh, leaders in their firms. What are some of the things that they should be aware of or that you would advise them on based well, on your experience? I advise all young engineers or mm -hmm. anyone coming out of school is to always look for opportunities always look for what you can do better and to learn every day. And that may not be just in your workforce. Look at some of your professional organizations. My career took off because I also was involved very heavily with the American Society of Civil Engineers. Mm -hmm. And now I'm involved with professional women in construction and women in transportation series. There, there's younger member groups, there's mentoring opportunities. You get to hone your skills as not just an engineer, but as a manager, as a leader. You take on committee assignments. You run meetings. Right. It's a great way to network. What you start off with at your first year at a school level, in 30 years they become your clients right. or your partners. So I encourage you. It's one of the best ways to understand the industry. You work within your network in, in your office, but also look beyond your office hmm. for networking. That's great. And I think what's important about that, because I, I talk to a lot of younger engineers, and I know it's easy to say, I have a lot of project work right now, I don't have time to go and get involved. But you don't realize what you're sacrificing because, yeah. you know, like Mary said, you're building a network that can yield you and your firm opportunities for a long time. There's always a balance, but I think it's really important. And more and more, our companies today, and ours here in particular, is we encourage our younger members, we look for those younger member activities that makes sense, and we send our young engineers to them. And we'll send them with one of our seasoned professionals so that we encourage some of that. Now, not everyone has to be involved to the nth degree, but being able to get out and see what other people do and talk to your peers is such a great learning experience, hmm. both from it validates where you're working and what you do well. It helps you understand what else is out there right? and how you can help move your firm in that direction as well. Also, one thing you mentioned there I want to talk about a little bit is, you know, taking a break, kind of raise kids. Um, I have personal experience. My wife's a civil engineer, and she did that as well. And I just want to, just briefly, I know I get a lot of questions from engineers. Most of the time they're female, but it could also be a male that take a break in their career as a yeah. civil engineer and have to come back. I think in today's world, when I started, it was definitely you had to work. If you took an hour off to coach or do a childcare, you would be punished for I think today's world, we understand the needs, not only for children, yeah. for your aging parents, but there is this balance. I tell our engineers, and I tell myself, I define my priorities. If in time I can't do those priorities to the best, there may need to be a need to step back. We did that as a family in my situation, raising a special needs child. And that's okay. Because what that allowed us to do was to take care of what was our, our priority. I came back in here and I'm doing better than I could have done if yeah. I stayed for 30 years. You always have an opportunity to come back and stay involved, even yeah. when you're not working. And that's exactly the point I, I kind of wanted to drive home here, is I do talk to women who say I'm nervous about leaving and the, I won't be able yeah. to come back. But I've talked to too many women now, including Mary, who have come back and been extremely successful. Yep. And to Mary's point, the break may have helped her in the long run because your family's important. You take the time, you need to focus on your family, but that doesn't mean that you're out and you can't come back and get back involved and be highly successful. So I just want people out there to recognize that it's been done. And if it's a family or it's a sabbatical for a profit, whatever that case may be, I find engineers 
My best engineers are ones that do things out beyond the engineering day-to-day. And I said, take a year sabbatical. Go work in your local community. Go run for an office. Because you're building an environment for people. And if you're not out engaging with those people on a regular basis, the way they think, the way things you would never even imagine, you begin to understand right? because of what you're involved in. So Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, civil engineering is about the community. So the more you can be involved in your community. Can you understand? <laughs> Learn your drop off and pick up at school, and you'll right. learn how that what works and what doesn't work. Right, exactly. Um, you know, learn what drives seniors. Learn to see that hey, senior citizens have a hard time walking. Right. So maybe the sidewalks need ADA is important. Yeah, sometimes. I mean it's it's a part of your job. It's part. We build our environment, so we need to know our environment, and we need to understand the needs and the changing in our environment. Right. So that's a good transition into the topic that we want to talk about today, which is design build. This is something that's becoming more and more popular. You're heavily into it, I know. But for those civil engineering professionals listening that aren't that familiar with it yet, can you just start by what is design build? In today's world, there is a need to deliver projects in more efficient ways, faster. Owners want it cheaper, which isn't necessarily the case, but faster, cheaper, and with the least amount of disruption to the public. In doing so, the world has also become much more complex in your design and construction. You and Associates, we've been in design build since 2000, 20 wow. years. We were one of the first firms to get into it. Our first design build job was a little 3,000 car parking garage down in Newark Airport. Design build is an alternate way to deliver. A design builder, which is usually a general contractor, a construction manager firm, or a joint venture, teams with a prime designer. Whether if it's a building, it usually is an architect. If it's a transportation, it could be an engineering firm. And together, we put a proposal in and we work in unison together for a fixed fees for an owner. So the design, the advantages of design build are when you begin to work out the details and logistics and where you really need that construction's knowledge, mm-hmm. you have it there. So we don't have to sit and draw meaningless plans that then your shop drawings come back and change things. Right. So it allows the efficiencies of working with a contractor to solve the challenge of how things are built. And with new materials and new ways and new equipment, it has opened up the world of engineering to get us that information that we wouldn't normally have in a traditional design job. Hmm. We can be more collaborative. We can be more creative on how we deliver a job. So the efficiencies there in a design build is we take on this risk as a team that an owner would hire. Now, with that risk, as there are some unknowns, we answer not only to an owner, we answer to our partner, which is the contractor, general contractor. So any errors and emissions, what helps for the owners is this team has to work it out. So with risk comes reward. It is a much better collaborative model. And I found and I enjoy working in that environment. Because I can make a best design one way, but there's 10 ways to do something. Understanding how a contractor looks at it and manages and bids and would bid at it, we can find not only the best way to the end result, but the most economic way to the end result. Not everyone feels this way, but I know that sometimes there's a narrative out there that engineers and contractors aren't friends. And I know, listen, it happens because you get into arguments on projects. These are big projects, big budgets, fast moving. But it does sound like this approach, if done properly, you're always going to have things that come up and you have to work through them. That's what an engineer does, period. But 
it sounds like Mary said the benefits are it can be more efficient, it can be faster, and you can be more creative, which is... It's the creative and the collaboration right. that's set up contractually, which makes it... Any job has a triangle. You have the owner, you have a contractor, you have a designer. Right. By linking the contractor and the designer together in a fashion, it helps strengthen that triangle, at least two sides of it. And we work in collaboration with the owner. I just want to take a quick break here and recognize our sponsor for this interview segment, the Employee Engagement Group. The Employee Engagement Group is led by Bob Kelleher, an employee engagement expert who's been a previous guest on the Civil Engineering Podcast. The Employee Engagement Group is really excited to sponsor the Civil Engineering Podcast, especially our Women in Civil Engineering series. And I am also excited to announce that the Engineering Management Institute will be a diamond sponsor for the AECHR Summit that is put on by the Employee Engagement Group, which will be this April in Denver, Colorado. This is a wonderful event that really focuses on best practices for engagement, learning, and development, specifically for AEC professionals. This will be our second year sponsoring and attending. And if you're planning to attend, please look for us there. We'll have a booth. Betty and myself will be there. I really look forward to connecting with you. Bob and his group do an amazing job putting on this event. There are dynamic speakers. There are fun social events. It's just a great time all the way around. For more information on the AEC HR Summit, visit employeeengagement.com and simply click on events. All right, let's get back to the interview. All right, so the one question that I have for you on this, because I've had some experience with design build a little bit when I was with the New York State Society of Professional Engineers, some of the legislation around it and things of that nature. And I know one of the challenges or potential risks with it is, as an engineer, obviously we have ethical standards we uphold, which is great. And if you're now dealing where, I don't know how the contracts work out, I'm assuming they could be set up differently on different design build projects, but if you're contracting with a contractor... Mm -hmm. And now, instead of the owner being the one to pay you and having kind of that payment kind of leverage over you, a contractor does. As the engineer, how can you still remain, I'm not going to let the contractor pressure me, even though I'm kind of working, quote unquote, for them. Like, seems like that's one thing that I always thought could be tricky with this relationship. In simplistic form, you never sacrifice your professionalism. You never sacrifice the health and safety and welfare of the general public. Right. That is what my PE is. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's a contractor, owner, or the president. It's about we are professional engineers. We sign an oath to protect the public health and safety and welfare in any project. And it doesn't, and I'm going to, contractors aren't looking to take that away from you. Right. There are some, what needs to happen in a design-build relationship is that, that body of trust. And there are different ways of looking things. And at the end of the day, though, that contractor still has to uphold. That's You're not taking away that authority from an engineer. Mm-hmm. And you still have the owner. Again, it's this triangle. Right. We still have to answer to the owners. So there right. are contractual requirements that everyone has to meet the code. And is it difficult on these larger scale projects where there's outside pressure to get them done faster? There's always that pressure. But if you can sit at a table and work collaboratively together, there is a way to find the solution. What I love about that answer is, you know, as a professional, licensed professional engineer, at the end of the day, it comes down to you. 
right? I mean, it's your license. So, I mean, yes, your company stands behind you, but you're signing and sealing things. So like Mary said, it doesn't matter if you're working with the contractor, the owner, you could be a subconsultant to another engineering company. At the end of the day, it's your judgment, it's your license, it's your experience, and you have to be strong enough to do the right thing under whatever circumstance it may be. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're going to try to delay a project. I mean, you just want to get it right. That's the bottom line. Like Mary said it best, the health and safety of the public is what we hold at the highest regard. And so if you have an engineer that is practicing within that realm, then they're going to be fine regardless of who they're working with because they're going to kind of stand behind that. So I like that approach. Could you give us... I don't know, a big takeaway. It doesn't have to be a specific project example, but just on some, I know you've worked on some big time projects. Design build contracts here are just beginning to becoming the contract of the day. The owners, we all still need to learn how to do the contracts better. I think that's one of the takeaways. Not all projects are suited for design build depending on unknowns, depending on traveling. I mean, we happen to be working at an airport where we're redeveloping the terminal and roads as the airport's still operating. Okay. Not always the best form of a design-build contract because the owner of the airports and the traveling public and everything changes on a daily basis. Hmm. Hard to keep that lump sum together. But it can be done if it's done with flexibility and within agreements that allow for the unforeseen. Small projects may not work, but there are projects out there that are complex in nature that need that collaborative, are fairly straightforward with the regulatory and and all the unknowns, and have the backing by the owners and the communities to make things to go smoother. End of the day, design build only works when you have the right team and the right players at the table, and there is that spirit of collaboration and partnership. Again, I go back to that triangle. The triangle has to stay whole. Everyone has a role in in the design build arena, and we all need to be able to communicate the needs and work through the situations and not set up roadblocks or start to point fingers. And that's what gets the job done. And that gets back to It goes back to client relations. It all comes down to that. So do you see that design build just continuing to become more popular? Oh, I think it will. I think it, it certainly can speed a process up. And in today's world, people, we need to have projects done quicker right? for so many reasons. And just for the convenience of the public, if nothing else, is truly a better, I think, a model than a traditional design build. Because you're in a design build, you're not always coming up with the cheapest, lowest bid. It's about the process, the design, and the right now, sometimes it comes down to low numbers, but in that there's the ability and flexibility to bring the added value of quality in there and not just low cost. Just learning and becoming, you know, building expertise in the design build process is something that will be very useful for engineers and engineers. It, it is. It is useful. We're successful because we have experience from planning all the way through construction and starting in the construction field and working up through design and planning when we have a blank piece of paper gives us an advantage with our contractors we work with because we understand the whole. And we have done that for 30 years in in some of our career. We're not always going after every design build project too. They're expensive. With risk comes reward. We're seeing that it used to be the contractor would take more of the risk and keep the reward. We're seeing that risk being pushed down now to the designers even more so. 
some with a reward, some without a reward. So I think there's still a lot of, we're in the beginning evolutions of what is the best design build contract. Hmm. So what I can tell you as an engineer, learn as much as you can about the process of a project right? from the beginning to the end. Learn how to be flexible and look at things in different ways. Understand how a contractor will bid a job and build a job and what the changes in the industry are coming. Technology has been great. It's been a great tool for that collaborative with our BIM, with our Blue Beams, with the ability to share information. makes everything go so much faster. And learning as an engineer to be able to document and to be able to be organized because it's a lot of information is being, in a quick time, is being passed back and forth. And you need to have all those skill sets in the yeah. one. I love that advice about the project process, because as Mary said, there's always going to be new technology. But constantly understanding the project process from beginning to end and thinking about it from all the different parties' perspectives, like we mm-hmm. said, the triangle, will help you, I think, to be the best engineer you can be in terms of servicing the client. Because you know how the project flows, which means if there is a new technology that gets brought to the table, you can look at it and say, you know, based on the way this project flows, I really think that that technology is going to help us, or I don't think it's going to give us too much of an advantage. So kind of knowing the fundamental kind of outline or skeleton of the project, you could call it, I guess, will be helpful for you in terms of making some of the decisions we talked about and evaluating what works, what doesn't work, and not just getting caught up in all the technology without understanding how it's going to help. It needs to help in order to use it. All right. So once again, we're here at UN Associates with Mary Lang. We're going to take a quick break and come back for a few last questions. We're going to put Mary on the civil engineering hot seat and ask her a couple (laughs) of last uh, professional development questions. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Mary Lang. Now, before we put Mary on the civil engineering hot seat, I would like to first recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society, not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. Mazer Consulting has a civil site group located in their Hamilton, New Jersey office for which they are currently seeking an engineer, project engineer, and project manager. The engineering role would include performing design tasks, such as grading and drainage, associated with civil engineering projects. For the PM role, Mazer is seeking a qualified individual to grow the engineering business. This person will be responsible for delivering the civil site engineering discipline in this market, as well as assisting in growing existing disciplines. Main responsibilities include developing business, building a staff, and generating and maintaining clients. All right, we're back. Mary, are you ready for the civil engineering hot seat? Sure. All right, so first question, do you have any specific routines or rituals that you do on a daily basis, whether it's morning, lunchtime, that help you to be successful, something you do consistently? Consistently, I take the first half hour, hour in the morning, and I put a box, an inbox together of articles I want to read later on in the day. As one of the, my roles here in the company is also strategically what projects to go, I religiously look at what's hot, what's coming up. 
for a half hour, an hour in the morning, if I can get that organized, I'm fine. I get my to-do list together and look at those priority ones, get them out of the way before the world starts to wake up. <laughs> and then later on, you try to get to some of those articles. When the you articles can. I get, much time I'll read. I'm always okay. constantly reading, looking at snippets, getting through my searches, trying to follow the money, as I call it. Yeah. As I tell my staff, you follow the money, you'll find where your next project's going to be. That's great. I love that because I know we get so tied up with things, but you have to remember, civil engineering is out there. There's trends all over the place, projects, there's tons of stuff that you can find and you just have to take the time to, to do it. All right, second question, has there been like a landmark book that's been helpful for you in your career that you might recommend to others that jumps out at you and said, you know, that's one book that really helped me and I took it and I used it? Actually, it's, it's ironic. Some of the landmark books that I read are psychology books. I can see how that can be helpful in engineering. <laughs> Learning how to, you know, collaboratively speak, and I'm, and I say this in tongue in cheek, but I guess raising children and working with children, I do a lot of work with the STEM programs with students from all ages. I find I just like to read psychology because it's more about having to the ability to collaborate and how do we get our message across to all types of people. It's funny because, and I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm reading a book right now that's entitled How to Talk to Kids So They Will Listen and How to Listen to Kids So They Will Talk. Talk. It's like a parenting Mm -hmm. book. And we do a lot of management training for engineering companies. And I told my wife, who's a civil engineer, that this is totally applicable in the engineering world in terms of talking to people. Because, I mean, no, 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 that's right. We, we, we are talking to the engineering It's a lot world. of the same strategies, But it's though. the strategies is about how the world has changed, and, and it's not about dictating what you want. It's about collaborative. Yeah. Collaboration. And part of that is listening. And listening. You need to, to listen to people. You need to listen to people. Understand yes. what their needs are if you're going to be able to collaborate and work with them. All right, so you've been practicing for a little while mm-hmm. as a civil engineer. You've uh, no doubt had managers throughout your career yourself. You don't have to name a manager specifically, but if you think back on your career and some of your favorite or quote-unquote best managers, what was it about them that made them one of your favorites? I have to say my favorites have been those leaders in the industry that took the time out, whether it was at a conference or a busy day, to spend five or ten minutes with with us. Just to talk to us and say and make suggestions. And I was very fortunate in my college days is most of my professors were adjunct professors who had ran very successful consulting firms. The advice that they brought to the classroom was amazing. We became friends and became mentors that you could talk to as you built your career. I've worked through national committees and, and on national boards, and I've had to sit next to CEOs as a very young engineer. And again, taking the time to get to know the person and being in their city and saying, please come, I want to show you my office and show you what we do has helped me transform. And I take all those little bits and pieces and roll it into my day to day. Yeah, I love that because I remember that myself as well when I was practicing as an engineer. Those managers that would say, you know, come on in, sit down for a few minutes. You'd be like, sure about that? You know, but those were the managers that understood you. And when you thought back on them, like we're doing now, you remember that aspect of it. So regardless of how busy you are as a manager, there's nothing more important than your people. And giving them attention can be a huge thing. One last question, Mary. Let's say that you were to get into an elevator with uh, an up-and-coming engineer and you had about 30 seconds to give him or her career advice, what would it be? I would tell them, always speak what you need to say. Don't wait for a manager to come to ask you a question. Always read, 
I read anything you can about the industry. About when I say follow the money, understand where your local community politicians are doing. Understanding budgets and just be willing to talk. Talk up, uh, speak up, and look for up. look for information. Read the news. There's plenty of news sources out there. If you don't take the time to read it, you might be missing yeah. what's happening next in yeah. the in the industry. All right. Once again, Mary Lang, professional engineer and principal at Ewan Associates. Mary, thank you for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my visit with Mary Lang. I really enjoyed it. Design build is important. And there are a lot of civil engineering professionals out there that still just don't know enough about it based on my conversations with people, which is understandable because a lot of civil engineers haven't worked with a project using that delivery process. So I was really appreciative that Mary kind of opened up on it. And I really loved her tip about reading. It's kind of hit me since I left her office just trying to do that more myself, reading what's going on in the industry. There's certainly good outlets for doing that. Several associations make these news snippet newsletters available. And it's often that we just think we're too busy to consume that stuff, but sometimes we can miss major things. Like she said in the podcast, you know, you kind of follow the money, right? Like if people are investing heavily in one type of project or delivery process, maybe that's somewhere that your firm needs to focus and maybe you can lead that initiative. So that was a huge takeaway for me from this episode. And I hope that you enjoyed it. I also want to say that I'm really enjoying the Women in Civil Engineering series. As I mentioned when we launched this series, the goal of this series is to highlight women in civil engineering like Mary and really women in different locations, different experience levels. And we're working on some interesting interviews. We've had over 100 nominees and we're determined to get them all on one of our content channels, one way or the other. And so we have a few that we are uh, performing the interviews now and we will be bringing them to you. If you're interested in checking out those specific episodes and more information on the Women in Civil Engineering series, just go to civilengineeringpodcast.com and you'll see a button in the group of red buttons there that will link to the page with information on the series. And you can find the show notes for this episode specifically and all episodes at civilengineeringpodcast.com. You can look for episode 125 there where you'll find the summary of the key points that we discussed in today's episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And we also have a couple of interesting content ideas and series that we're working on now that I really hope that we can bring to the table. If you are a big civil engineering company and you're interested in helping us, there are sponsorships available on some really interesting projects and video series that we're working on right now. So please feel free to reach out to us. You can reach out to our producer of the show, Angelique, at angelique at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 